0: you're living with an enormous amount of uncertainty because you always have to be extremely flexible. So there aren't strategies that you can use that are fail safe and you stick to those and it's going to work. It changes continually because within that, you've also got a person who wants that autonomy over their situation. So if there's any moment where they feel that that autonomy is being taken away from them, then they'll need to change that up again.
1: Welcome to Tilt Parenting, a podcast featuring interviews and conversations aimed at inspiring, informing, and supporting parents raising differently wired kids. I'm your host, Debbie Reber. On today's episode, I'm talking with Eliza Fricker about PDA an acronym that technically stands for Pathological Demand Avoidance, although I know many people who interpret PDA as a persistent desire for autonomy. I've done a few episodes on PDA before, I'll have links to those in the show notes, but never from a parent's perspective. So after reading Eliza's insightful book, The Family Experience of PDA, I knew I wanted to share her perspective with this community. During the episode, Eliza and I talk about how demand avoidance is more extreme in a child with a PDA profile versus the inflexibility or rigidity we might see in other neurodivergent kids. We also get into what Eliza has learned about herself parenting a child with PDA and what her resistance was to the changes needed to her parenting style. She also shared some great tips for teachers who have a PDA student in their classroom and for parents who are struggling with family, friends, or people close to them who aren't willing to understand what PDA is and what that means for their family. Let me tell you a little bit more about Eliza before we get into the show. Eliza Fricker is the illustrator behind Missing the Mark a deeply personal and human exploration of a mother's journey navigating the education system and everyday life with a child who can't go to school. In addition to writing The Family Experience of PDA, Eliza has also launched a limited-run companion, Missing the Mark podcast, and launched a series of talks, consultations, and online courses to support parents who are in similar situations. Her latest book, Can't Not Won't, will be published by Jessica Kingsley Publishers in December 2022. Thanks so much. And now here is my conversation with Eliza. Hey, Eliza, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm really looking forward to talking about your work and your book. I have done a few episodes on PDA, but not from the parent perspective, and you have such a unique lens and your book is amazing in the way that you can share this experience in such an accessible, gettable way. I'm just thrilled to be able to share this with my listeners. Before we get into that, can you take a few minutes and just introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about your personal why and who you are.
0: Yeah, sure. So my name is Eliza Fricker, and I am an author and illustrator And I started out actually illustrating my blog a couple of years ago, which is called missingthemark.blog. And that was really, I had a background in design and illustration, but when my child became too unwell to go to school, that was really, the blog was to help me process eight years, really, of, of struggling within the education system and the systems of support so for me, my medium has always been illustration, and that helps me to process things. So I started with Missing the Mark, and it was from there that I was asked to write a book about PDA, and things have kind of escalated within the realm of writing about all sorts of things within the education system and and neurodivergence, so
1: yeah. I often talk to people on on this podcast whose personal world has kind of meshed with their parenting world and collided in the best possible way. And it really seems like that has been the case for you. Although I imagine this wasn't part of your big career plan when you became an illustrator.
0: No, it wasn't. I think something that I found very difficult to access within that world of parenting, particularly a child with extra needs, was any positivity. It was quite gloomy. And I'm not a gloomy person, so for me, being able to put that empathy into into those drawings and the humour as well was really important. I want to show positivity and actually what's come out of this and the work that I do feels so much more meaningful than when I was designing wallpaper and working in that world, which now I still buy the interior magazines and they feel quite empty to me now. I'm like, that was so vacuous and shallow <laughs> compared to what I do now. I love bringing positivity to situations and there always is. And I think that that's what I try and show with my work is that actually it's the systems that are disabling And we have to find our own own way of doing things that works.
1: So when you started Missing the Mark, how many years ago was that you got a book deal out of that? So you drew attention. But what was the response from people who found your blog and found that it really resonated with them?
0: Yeah, so I think I started it in about 2019. And again, that was the other side of it was that for me, it was incredibly isolating our experiences when you're standing at that school gate and you're under that gaze and comparison of other families and other parents you do feel quite other and I was amazed when I started drawing it how many people got in touch with saying this is our life thank you for drawing this and that connection that came about and the people that I've met through through drawing this just to help other people feel less isolated because often the situations that I'm drawing are incredibly difficult to convey to even friends and family and and I think there's some way that the the drawings give much more of an insight into it than a long ranty email to a relative or a professional which we've all done many times within this journey.
1: Yes, for sure. Listeners, we'll get into the book. It's called The Family Experience of PDA, An Illustrated Guide to Pathological Demand Avoidance. But you just have such a way of capturing this experience with very few words and these situations that you instantly get. And it is so powerful and refreshing. And so what a great tool for people to have to be able to say, here, read this, and you'll really get what we're going through. I would love to know, In your experience, because I think there are people who don't quite get PDA. Could you talk a little bit, not necessarily the difference between a PDA profile and a neurotypical kid, but even within neurodivergence, what is it about PDA in your experience that is kind of more extreme?
0: I think you're living with an enormous amount of uncertainty because you always have to be extremely flexible. So, There aren't strategies that you can use that are fail safe and you stick to those and it's going to work. It changes continually because within that, you've also got a person who wants that autonomy over their situation. So if there's any moment where they feel that that autonomy is being taken away from them, then they'll need to change that up again. So that's what you're doing constantly. You're constantly assessing the way that you present things your language has to be indirect all the time so you've got that one element then you've got to consider how that that activity or that day is going to go and what those variables are so I think a lot of it is things that they're not seen and they're things that you're internalizing as the caregiver you're constantly assessing and trying to gauge what level they're at and what their tolerance levels are. So all of that's going on for you internally and that takes quite a lot to do that all the time and that's why it's very difficult in an educational setting for them to be able to do that particularly when they're working within they have their ways and their their ways of doing things. It's only really in the home where you can do that constant flex which is needed.
1: Yeah, I mean, what you're describing is just so much kind of behind the scenes work. And I imagine it requires so much presence, right? We talk on this show about showing up for your child every day, and trying to be as present as possible. But again, you illustrate this so beautifully in the book, it is such an intentional presence and requires a lot of You said flexibility, just being nimble, just being able to kind of go with the flow. If you're willing to share just personally for you. Did you have resistance to making that pivot and parenting in that way? Yes, I did. I think for
0: most parents, we've grown up with certain constructs and beliefs around parenting. And I think for most of us, there is a shedding of our historical, how we were brought up. We have to do an element of that. And I think actually, The way that I look back at it, I would say that we started on a route of quite connective parenting. We were doing co-sleeping. It was all quite gentle. I was, because of my job, it afforded me to be at home most of the time. It then changed when those systems came in, when nursery school came in and when school came in. Because they were very much set systems and they that was when we saw that it wasn't working. But we had this new narrative coming in where well, they should be able to do that. You should leave them. You should toughen up. We had all those narratives coming in, which they wobble you. You know, you end up questioning what you're doing. And I think that's the most tricky part because... You've got your inner sense of what you feel is right and how you should be doing it. But every day you're being met with this other. And that was really, really tricky. And it was only when we started to really pull back on that and start to say, "Okay, well, why does it matter if we're late? What's going to actually happen if we are late for school? And little, little things like that, once you start saying that to yourself, changes things again because what happens is when you've let those narratives and that advice in your anxiety does ramp up with that and so being able to just say okay well we're not doing that anymore let's see what happens when we don't do that and I always talk about one of the big changes for us was not eating dinner at the table at the end of a school day which had been demand laden I had this fixation, I don't know whether it's having Italian family, but that we had to sit at the dinner table. You know, we had to eat this square meal and sit at the dinner table. And I got really bogged down with that, thinking we had to do that. And actually, once I removed that, and thought, why do we need to do that? At the end of a school day, that's another demand. (laughs) And took that away. It was, again, another one of those moments where you think, oh my goodness, why were we doing that
1: for so long? Yes, in my book, Differently Wired, the very first, I call them tilts, but reframe is to question everything that you thought you knew about parenting. So I love that example. And you know, you have some other examples like that in the book. And that also made me think of Alfie Cohn's work with unconditional parenting. And we do so often get on autopilot and we prioritize things without questioning why they're important. So I just really appreciate that example. And that one change could make a huge difference for a child with PDA. We'll be right back after this quick break. I'm on the road this month and oh man, am I missing my sweet kitties Haskell and Lua. They've been a part of our family for more than two years. And I'm so grateful they're keeping Darren such good company while I'm away. If you're getting a new pet soon, you're probably already thinking about everything you'll need to buy. Food, toys, a cozy bed, doggy bags or litter boxes. Something you may not be thinking about, though, is pet insurance. That's why you should check out ASPCA Pet Health Insurance. The ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Program offers customizable accident and illness plans, making it easier for pet parents like you to help your pet get the care they may need. The ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Program has been around for over 18 years and they've helped more than 600,000 pets during that time. They allow you to customize your plan, helping ensure that your pet's plan is as unique as they are because vet bills can really add up, especially when you're least expecting it. It's simple. Use their app to submit a claim and you'll receive reimbursement for eligible vet bills directly into your bank account. To explore coverage, visit ASPCAPetInsurance.com They're a female-founded B Corp, meaning they are holding themselves accountable long-term to not only think about their company's financial health, but also the health of people and our planet. There's no more shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. Get twenty-five percent off your first month for a limited time at Ritual.com/tilt. Start Ritual or add Symbiotic Plus to your subscription today. That's Ritual.com/tilt for twenty-five percent off. You talked about school briefly, and you're in the UK. I have a lot of listeners in the UK, but a majority are in the US where PDA isn't fully recognized, although there is a growing awareness here. But I'm just wondering about the educational experience. Is having a child with the pda profile is it possible for that child to have a, a school experience in a traditional setting can those two things ever be in alignment or is it kind of an uphill climb the whole way
0: i mean you've got to think that in england we still uh, harking back to victorian values often so that, that is very much in our education system So within the mainstream system, I think the stats are pretty bleak. I think the PDA society talk about 70% of PDA profile children are not in education. I think you have to look at our education system and what it is and what it stands for. And it's school uniforms, it's learning by rote, it's homework. There isn't much difference from one mainstream school to another. However, we do have different educational settings that you can access if you have the right paperwork, legal documents to support that. So we've been very fortunate that we now have an independent specialist setting, which does a much more kind of democratic way of learning. It's very strength based. It's trauma informed. It's holistic. There's lots of staff. But in the mainstream, it's incredibly difficult. And I think that something that parents get quite upset with is the teachers not doing more, but you have to remember the teachers are as stuck in these systems. You know, many of them go into teaching for the right reasons and find out that they're as restricted in
1: what they can bring to those children and those lessons as well. Yes, a hundred percent. It's tricky for everybody involved. And I, I'm just wondering, I'm sure there are teachers listening to this too. Are there certain approaches or tweaks they could make with a child with PDA in the way that they teach them or support them or show up for them in the classroom that could make a difference? I think if
0: they can offer as much flexibility within that system that they're in, if we're talking about the mainstream setting, often it's things like allowing for lots and lots of breaks within that day, allowing that child to come out of that classroom and do something else. All of the support that you will offer a child with PDA will need to be very, very subtle. They won't want to look any different from their peers. So there's no point sticking a laminated visual timetable in front of them and giving them timeout cards. They're probably going to rebuke or rebuff that So you've got to work. It's going to be very much sort of person centred. So it's going to be someone that they really trust in that school coming in and offering them a job to do so that they don't look any different. They pop out with them or subtle thumbs up. And again, that creativity that we bring into how we do it at home is going to be the same in that setting. But that person is going to be absolutely essential. They're going to need that co-regulation from a person. It's not going to work with a, you know, I often joke about the, the laminated worksheet, which is what we get given in our school system. You know, that's not going to work. It's got to be a person.
1: Yeah, I'd love to go back a little bit to the PDA profile. And I'm just wondering, because I know that you talk a lot about this, you're going to we'll share the link, but you're going to be actually doing a, a US tour to further understanding about PDA here in the US, which is great. How would you describe to someone who just pushes back and says, listen, all kids don't like demands placed on them. Kid with the ADHD, demand avoidant kit you know a lot of autistic children are rigid and inflexible can you just talk a little bit about how you would describe in your experience and in the work that you're doing how this shows up differently
0: well I think a lot of the the supports do work for other children and actually someone put a review recently from my book and said I'm sharing this with friends who've Neurotypical children, and they're saying this is working for them because most of it is really kind of relationship based. That is the, the center of it, and it's connective parenting. And all children want that. You know, all children want to have time just really hanging out with someone who genuinely wants to be there and genuinely wants to spend time with them. The difference is the PDA child is going to be much more astute at working out who's genuine <laughs> and who's not. <laughs> but all of it is very much about spending time, working collaboratively, so you're not asking them to do something. It's much more shall we? I wonder if these are things that can work across the board because actually what you're doing is removing that hierarchy and you're working it as a team. And people are really shocked when I say we don't have any rules in our house, but we have a really, really well behaved child who wants to do things correctly. And we don't have bad behavior. And we've got a teenager. But it's because we talk about things collaboratively with them. What time do you reckon you can get back tonight? Because they've started getting a teenager now. What time do you think's good to, rather than I want you back at, there's nothing to push back against. That's the thing.
1: Yeah, it really is. You have a section in here talking about chores, because as you're talking, I'm thinking... I know I'm going to have listeners who say, okay, what do I do when I've got multiple kids, one PDA kid, and I take all demands off that child, but I want my other child to do X, Y, and Z? Do I let everyone off the hook? So I would love your answer to that. But I also would love you to speak to how you have addressed being helpful and being a contributing member of a family with chores. It sounds like it still happens. It just looks different.
0: Yeah, I mean, I would say the chores don't really happen. Someone might correct me on this. I think that's more of a cultural thing. I think in America, that's more of a thing than here. I don't think we're so into getting kids to do chores. I would say Harry Thompson always talks about the kind of, well, there's two things. There's the inspiration over instruction and there's the what's in it for me. And you have to think about that. You know, For a lot of children who are neurodivergent, Why would they do that? What is in it for them? And actually, they will get there. I did a post the other day. They will get there when they get there. Children learn by osmosis. If you are kind as an adult and they see you being kind and they see you being active and they see you partaking in things, that's how they learn. They learn by seeing what you're doing. And they will become an adult more than likely very similar to that. If you're barking orders at them, they are very likely to become another adult who barks orders at someone. But actually, children will get there. And, you know, Harry Thompson talks about being a PDA adult. You know, he can drive a car. He cleans his flat. You know, all these things people see when their children are struggling within the school system and they think, I don't think they'll ever get there. They'll never get to this amazing place of being an adult who can thrive for themselves but they do they get there but they get there through us being kind and showing encouragement and on their own timeline
1: yeah and on their own timeline as you said which is i mean that's the case with all differently wired kids right they're on their own unique timeline listeners so harry thompson who Eliza has mentioned a couple of times. He was on the show, and I'll have a link in the show notes page. He's the author of The PDA Paradox, The Highs and Lows of My Life on a Little Known Part of the Autism Spectrum. He calls himself a PDA ambassador, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Very knowledgeable and that first person experience, which is so helpful. We'll be right back after this quick break. Hey there, it's Debbie. I love making this show and sharing conversations about how to support our awesome neurodivergent kids. I've seen how even one little insight from an interview can spark a big shift in daily life. But I know that raising complex kids can be messy and lonely, and just when we think we figured it out, something comes up that boots us right back to feeling overwhelmed and stuck. That's why I've poured everything into creating a way for parents like us navigating complex parenting journeys to join together and chart a path that feels positive, hopeful, and doable. It's the brand new Differently Wired Club experience. In the club, you'll get personal support from me and other seasoned parent coaches, six live calls every month where you can connect and get your personal questions answered, the opportunity to learn directly from authors and experts like I have on this show, However you learn, whatever your style, no matter the ages, genders and neurodivergent profile of your children, the Differently Wired Club can help you cultivate the positive shifts you're hoping for. Join us today by going to tiltparenting.com/club. That's tiltparenting.com/club. I hope to see you on the inside.
2: Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? I love the
1: relationship base, this connective parenting, and you know, in the way that you describe it, I often say that those of us raising neurodivergent kids, it is a more extreme form of parenting. And there are so many gifts that come with it. My kids started their senior year of high school today, as we're recording this, and We are very close, like, because of the relationship that we've had, and I I don't know what it'd be like to have a neurotypical kid, so I can't say for sure, but I do appreciate the way that my child has demanded I show up for them has changed who I am and the way that I get to experience that relationship. And that's something I'm really grateful for. So, the gifts of PDA. What else have you learned parenting a demand avoidant child? It sounds like you had to unpack some beliefs or ideas you had about the way to be a parent, even though it sounds like from the beginning you were very connected and co sleeping and were doing that approach. But what else have you learned about maybe yourself and about what you think is a more respectful way to parent kids?
0: Yeah, I think a lot has to come from us as the adult. I think we probably have to do the the toughest lessons come from really looking into ourselves and, and looking back at things from our childhood, the way that we were parented. And I think sometimes we stick to those things because that's how we were raised. And it is okay to say, well, I'm going to do it differently or just because that happened to me, doesn't mean I have to do it again. I mean, my dad jokes, he always says, you've got to fight the gene pool. Always fight that gene pool. <laughs> and I love that. <laughs> but, you know, you you just question it all. And I think that that's something that's amazing when you, you do parent differently. You do, you question it all. And you just say, but why though? Why is that important? I've got a page in the book, Pick Your Battles, which is a old saying but you can look back on that and it became a bit of a joke in our family when we'd see sort of other families really you know barking a order at a child when we were out and about and we were like yeah, but but why is that important you know if they don't put their coat on they're gonna get cold but that's okay you know so it's all of that you you really start to look at everything and go back and question it and and I've done a lot of stuff for myself to make sure that I am able to to be there and be able to parent as best I can. You know, for me, exercise has been a massive help for me. I'm very slim, but I do weightlifting and I do boxing and that just keeps me sane. (laughs) So you find those things that really work for you. There is a lot of work to be done on ourselves on this journey. And and I always say have lots and lots of fun because I think we can get really bogged down in things and actually... Just having a fun, nice time is not going to hurt anyone.
1: Absolutely. I love that you have a chapter about self-care in the book and not in a like self-care woo-woo spa day way, but like, how do you show up for yourself? And there is a big emphasis on fun and silliness and how that can just pivot everything. And you have a lot of good illustrated examples in here about how saying one thing, you, I think, and a, one of them is like a pratfall, like like just things that can completely change everything in that moment. So I really appreciate that. You mentioned other families. And I do just want to quickly ask you if you have advice for listeners who feel misunderstood by whether it's their relatives, their own parents, other parents in the community who just don't get it. Like, how have you deflected the the doubters or just kind of dealt with people who didn't get it or care to understand it?
0: Yeah, I think uh, particularly with PDA, because... As you mentioned earlier, it's something that because it's not in the d s m five manual, it's some professionals particularly can be very well, they just won't entertain the idea of p d a so you could say, "My child is p d a and they will say, "Well we don't believe in that or we don't we don't see that we don't agree with that or whatever." That can be really challenging. So often I just talk about really simple things. Don't even mention PDA. You know, if you've got in laws that are like, oh, another label, you're putting another label on your child, just talk about the profile of PDA. Say that your child has extreme anxiety and that leads to avoiding demands. You can put all of that in place without mentioning PDA. A parent said to me, a friend, said that they actually just emailed their family before Christmas, which is, again, you know, tricky time, very demand-laden, a lot of expectations. She said, I just emailed my parents. And I said, just to let you know, he won't be eating at the dinner table. He's going to have a pizza. And actually, just by emailing her parents, they could hear that. You know, they had time to read it, they had time to sit with it. Because often we feel so tense and we're so stressed and we're trying to explain all of this stuff about our child and then we feel rejected because people don't get it. And so it's as well as making these accommodations for our children, we sometimes have to do it with the people around us as well. Okay, well, how is it going to work? And I always talk about bullet points because this is another thing. Often as parents, we write these long emails to people, you know, professionals that, just a couple of bullet points because they're not going to read it. They've got like a gazillion other emails. How are you going to get that information over that is really, really important. So it's it's finding ways that you can communicate with people and then just sifting out the ones that just don't get it. If it's going to make your life really tricky, you know politely tiptoe away from them because if it is going round to a friend's and, and, and you're feeling that way of expectation and demand and it's just tricky, then just skip it. You've got a great excuse not to go.
1: Yeah, absolutely. First of all, that's great advice because this is something again, I think applies to all parents. Raising any sort of neurodivergent kid, especially around family expectations and holidays and all of that stuff. So I appreciate that reminder to just kind of say what you need and prioritize what you know is best for your child and your family. Do you have any other advice for parents who are overwhelmed, who are raising a child with PDA and are just feeling really stuck?
0: Yeah, I think, I think particularly when you are working with a school system and, you know, it would be, it's easy to say we'll just skip the school system and do it your own way but that's not always possible for families you know there's work commitments not all of us can just be at home with our kids but I would just say just do as much of the kind of low demand approach that you can when they're not in school so after school at weekends you know don't plan a lot of stuff at the weekend give them time just to chill out I know screen time's a big one isn't it because parents feel like should they be on the screens as much as they are but you know all of that giving them that break to just chill out gives you that break to chill out as well so just keep it low demand for all of you really pull back on all of that stuff and I think if you see them start to seem more regulated at home and calmer then it's going the right way and I think most of these children work out okay once they have more autonomy in their lives anyway you know most end up going to college when they can choose what they want to do and they have that autonomy
1: so yeah just go low demand for for all of you to have a bit of a nicer time That's great. Thank you so much for that. And also, listeners, read Eliza's book, The Family Experience of PDA, because the way that you share the scenarios and the kinds of situations that parents are going to find themselves in, and so simply show a different way of navigating that. I know that it must help so many parents feel seen. And that, as I know from till parenting is just one of the most important things
0: yeah we've actually got the educators one coming out next so that's going to be out next year we don't have the date yet so we've just finished it it's just gone off to their publisher oh that's exciting yeah that would be really good so i've I've co-written that with laura kirby co-written it I say she did all the words this I just did the drawings but that's going to be yeah the educator even though my book has been used by teachers I think this is going to be really good for parents to give to those that are working with their children
1: that is fantastic wow that's wonderful I saw that you have a book coming out in December of 2022 can't not won't is that the book
0: yeah no so can't not won't is about that Difficult bit of a child who cannot access school or is trying to access school. So that's much more the sort of illustrations that are on missing the mark and really to highlight the difficulties for a lot of our children to access an education. That's why it's called Can't Not Won't because it's not that they don't want to, it's that they cannot. So hopefully that's going to add a little bit to the discussions already going on about attendance. I don't know if it's a big thing where you are, but it's a big issue here around the government's hard line on attendance.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's great. I'm grateful that you're doing the work that you're doing. And listeners, I'll have links to all of these resources and I'll update it as you have new books coming out. So definitely check out the show notes page for this episode. And then before we say goodbye let listeners know where they can find you and tell us a little bit about what your upcoming US tour is going to be about.
0: Yeah, sure. So my website is missingthemark.blog. I also have Facebook and Twitter, which are quite, I'm quite active on those. Facebook's good because I have a lot of other communities that I work with and who I share things with doing on there. So work that I'm doing with Dr. Naomi Fisher, who wrote Changing Our Mind. I also do a lot of stuff with Nest, which is Laura Kirby, who I've written the book with, and Harry Thompson. And there's details about our upcoming US tour, which is in November, where we'll be going to Florida, California... St. Louis and New York. So that's where we'll be doing lots of PDA training, and as well as we'll be sort of doing presentations more and then consults for parents so they can come book in with us and talk all things PDA, which is very exciting. So, yeah, I think that's all of it. We can share the links for those.
1: That would be great. That's wonderful. Well, thank you so much. I'm so happy that we were able to connect and. I'm just always thrilled when I find people who are supporting other parents because of their own experience and bringing their talents to make this a just a better journey for all of us. So thank you so much. I just appreciate everything you shared today. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to the Tilt Parenting Podcast. To go deeper into this episode, visit the extensive show notes page. For every episode, there's a dedicated page on my website with links to all the resources mentioned, a full transcript, and a podcast player with key takeaways marked so you can easily go back and re-listen to the sections you're most interested in. Just go to tiltparenting.com podcast and select this episode. The Tilt Parenting Podcast is hosted by me, Debbie Reber, author of the book Differently Wired and the founder of Tilt Parenting. This episode was edited by Andrea Curtis Amasquita, and show notes were put together by myself, Andrea, and Lindsay McFadden. If you get a lot out of this podcast and want to help cover the cost of its production, please consider joining my Patreon campaign. On Patreon, you can sign up to make a small monthly contribution, as little as $2 a month, and it's super easy to sign up. Just go to patreon.com slash to learn more or click on the Patreon link on any show notes page. To follow Tilt Parenting on social media, go to at Tilt Parenting on Instagram and Twitter and on Facebook. Lastly, please help this podcast stay visible and easily found by the listeners who need it by subscribing and leaving a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you so much. And that's all for this week. Stay safe, stay well, and take good care. And for more information about this podcast or any of the resources that Tilt offers, visit TiltParenting.com. Well, hey there, Busy Mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life?